Well, good morning again. And to you online, good morning again and welcome. Um, glad you are here today. When I was in youth ministry, one of my favorite trips every year was wilderness trek. And if you've never been on wilderness trek and don't know what wilderness trek is, it is basically literally a trek up the mountain. And you climb a mountain, and you take everything that you're taking on your back in a backpack, and you climb up a mountain, and um, you use the bathroom in the woods and, and all those great things that are a lot of fun. And you also get your water um, out of Ozarka water bottles. You take a bunch of cases of water in your backpack. You get your water out of the stream. And okay, it's like two people thought that was funny. Thank you. Um, you get your water out of a stream. And there's a problem getting your water out of a stream. There's disease in the stream called Giardia. And if you get Giardia, especially if you get Giardia on Wilderness Trek when you're in the woods um, with no access to bathrooms, you have a sincere problem. In fact, all the guides, and, and I, I learned this my very first time going on Wilderness Trek as a, a student ministry intern in Dallas at Preston Crest, um, they have a little saying, and it might be a little bit for some of you a little too much, but I'm just going to say it because I think it kind of gets the point across. If you get Giardia, okay, the world, I'm sorry, the bottom falls out of your world and the world falls out of your bottom. <laughs> so you do not want Giardia. And so what we found, um, there are some chlorine tablets that you can drop in your water bottle, and it clears them up, but it does taste like drinking straight out of your swimming pool, so it's not great. But you can also buy a filter, and with the filter, you put one end of it into the stream and the other end in your water bottle, and you pump water out of the stream, and it filters out all of the impurities and disease and make sure that you're drinking good, clean water. And the filter is good for a long time. And it will keep you healthy and well while you are on this trip. But as you pump more and more and more and more, the filter gets dirty. And it needs to be changed out. And if it's not changed out, you run the risk of getting Giardia. And so it has to be, after so many pumps, changed. And right now, in our world, I think we need a filter change. Because right now, there is a filter that every one of us are looking at all of the current events through. Whether we talk about racial injustice or protest and unrest or violence or COVID-19 or any other thing we can throw out there in the water to make it a little more muddy. And the filter that we're using is social media, one, where we look at everything through this lens of social media. The other is a 24-hour news cycle that never stops in Fox News and CNN and any other you want to throw out there. 
and then our political affiliations and agendas. And we're watching all of these events with this filter over it. And so what I want to do this summer is spend the summer changing out our filter. In fact, I would love it, and it's hard to do, but if you could just get rid of those other filters. And I want to put another filter on top of our world and on on top of our life that we see everything through. And that filter is found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. And if you've been in church long, you know that as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus comes to these disciples, to these followers, and says, here's what it's going to look like to follow me. Here's what it's going to look like to be a part of my kingdom. And if you're willing to be a part of the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven, this is what your life will look like. You know, the reformer Martin Luther had some problems with the Sermon on the Mount. Because he read it and he said, you know what, I don't think people could actually live like this. I think the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is not to show us how to live, but instead to show us how sinful we are, that we could never possibly live up to it. I think Martin Luther was very, very, very wrong there. I do not think the point of the Sermon on the Mount is to show us how sinful and wicked we are. I believe it is Jesus calling us to a different way to live our life and a different way to live within this world. That it's a way that would shape and form and transform your identity. And it would form who you are. Any baseball fans in here besides me? few? Um, in the 60s, there was a fantastic. I would say one of the best five pitchers of all time. His name was Sandy Koufax. And Sandy Koufax threw for the Dodgers back in a time and a day when pitchers weren't sissies. And they threw every four days. And if they started a game, they finished a game. They didn't need a closer. And when you got to the playoffs, especially when you got to the World Series, it wasn't you threw a game, game one, and then you took some time off and you threw game four. It was as the, starting, as the starter as the ace of the staff, if you threw game one, you were going to throw game four and game seven. Because that's what you do. Because you have the responsibility on your shoulders. And in 19, I didn't write it down, I believe 65, was it, I think it was the 65 series. The first game of the World Series, game one, fell on Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. In the Jewish calendar, it is the biggest day of your year. And Sandy Koufax was struck with this dilemma, that game one of the World Series is on a day that my people consider so sacred and holy. And Sandy Koufax decided that his identity as a Jew was greater and more important than it was to be the ace of the Los Angeles Dodgers in game one of the World Series. And Sandy Koufax did not pitch in game one. 
When we talk about identity, this is what we are talking about. We are talking about something that is so formative inside you that it will change everything you do. And the reason the sermon is so important is because Jesus says this is what life in this new world will look like if you are going to follow me. And it is something that forms our identity in a way that dramatically changes our life. And so this summer I want to replace our filter. And I want the Sermon on the Mount to be the filter that we see everything through. And as we get to the end, I'm going to give you some challenges with this sermon. Some, some ways that I want you to practice it and live it out. But before we do that, because I, I want you to understand how important it is that we live it out, that it's not, as Martin Luther said, just something to show us how sinful and wicked and evil we are. I want to go to the, the end of the sermon. I want to begin at the end. Because I think if we begin at the end, we will see his point of the whole message that he shares. And we're going to turn there and you're going to see what passage it is and you're going to say, ah, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. But I want you to hear this. I want to begin with the end in mind. When, when I prepare a message, there are four questions I ask every week. And if it's a really good sermon, I've done a really good job of answering these four questions before I preached it. It's what do you want them to know? Why do you want them to know it? What do you want them to do? And why do you want them to do it? And if I can answer those four questions, I'll tell you my sermon's going to be pretty good. And if I hadn't spent as much time really drilling down on those four questions, it might ramble and run and go a lot of different places. It won't be super, super succinct and get to the point. So I want you to, to, to listen, because I think Jesus answers those questions here in Matthew 7. He says, therefore, therefore, everyone who hears these words, what are these words? Remember, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So the words throughout the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with the Beatitudes and all the way through this, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's what happened. After he built his house on the rock, the rain came down. And the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. So the storm comes. And it beats against the house. Yet, it did not fall because of its foundation. Its foundation was on the rock. And because it had a foundation on the rock, it did not fall. Going on. But everyone who hears these words of mine, again, these words of mine, the Sermon on the Mount, words, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He built his house on the sand. And what happened when he built his house on the sand? The same thing 
The exact same thing that happened to the house that was built on the rock happens to the house that was built on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. The storm comes to both houses regardless of where they were built. The only difference is the foundation which they were built on. And what happens to this house? It fell with a great crash. And and you've heard this story so many times. In fact, there's a song we sing, right? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came tumbling down. And our favorite part of the song is when we get to the end of the foolish man. And the rains came down, and the floods came up, and what did his house do? Splat! And we know it. We know it. We've heard it. In fact, there's a lot of you in here that know this book really well. You know everything it says. But here's the problem. Jesus does not say, blessed is the one who knows the words of this book. Because the one who knows this word It's like a man who built his house upon the rock. He doesn't say that. It's not the one who knows what it says. It's the one who does what it says. Who actually lives it out. So is this a word for this summer that we're going to to read so that we can know it? And it can show us how awful we are as people. No. It is a word that Jesus gives you and I so that we could live it out. So this could form our identity and who we are as a people. Because we believe that Jesus Christ came into this world to save it to redeem it, to reconcile it, to heal it. And that what he does is he comes into this world to show you and I there is a different way to live. And people have been saying for centuries, this is what it looks like to be blessed and fruitful. And Jesus comes into the middle of the mess and says, it looks like this. If you will live out this sermon, your life will look different and you will be blessed and a part of the kingdom of God. This is how people will know. And this is how you will change and form this world. It will radically make a difference. And as Bennett read just a few moments ago, 
that, that because of what Jesus did, we have this righteousness from God, not this righteousness of our own. And what I see with so many of the filters that we are looking through, whether it's social media or our 24-hour news cycle or our political agendas, is there is this self-righteousness, this narcissism, this consumeristic self-worth that we have. And as James tells us, he, he reminds us, for those of you that were rich, remember that because of what Christ did for you, it is because you have become poor. That you, that you don't have this self-righteousness that you can pull yourself up by your own brute steps. That you needed Christ to redeem and save you even though you look like you had it all together. And the other side, for those of you who are poor, think about the good good standing, the identity that you now have in Christ, that now you are valued and now that you are mattered. And listen, we still live in a world where people are not valued equally. That is a problem. But it is not a political problem. It is an image of God people problem. That everyone... Our Constitution even says it. Everyone is entitled to life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. This is a gospel problem. This is a kingdom of God problem. And we've made it a political issue. This is a people thing. This is a people thing. And, and right now, we're looking at all of these current events and everything that's happening in our world, and we're listening to the voice of bloggers, and they have an agenda. I'll just tell you, I've had a blog before. Your agenda is to get more readers. And we're listening to our, our favorite news source, and they have an agenda. And I'll tell you, it's not to tell the truth all the time. It's to make money. And it's to have more people watch them. And it's to get more likes. And we're looking at all of this through slanted filters. What, what would happen if we just began with the Sermon on the Mount and said, let's place that over and on top of everything that's happening right now in our world? I mean, what if we just did chapter 7, where, where he says, don't judge each other. And first, take the plank out of your own eye and treat each other as you want to be treated. What if we just began right there and actually did what it said? Not, not we know what it says, but we did it. We, we made it part of our life. We have a filter problem. We, we have a filter problem right now in our world. And here's the thing, we have a filter problem because we have a heart problem in our world. And we've always had a heart problem in this world. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is stepping into the midst of this broken humanity and giving us new hearts and new eyes and a new way to see the world, to see the world through his eyes, and that we believe 
Listen, we cannot legislate ourselves to a better society. We can only love ourselves there. And followers of Jesus and the church is supposed to be leading the way. Because we have allowed the consciousness of the community to reflect, be reflected in our churches. And, and our churches are supposed to influence the consciousness of the community, not be a reflection of it. It's to look different than it looks out there. It's that people come inside these walls and in these doors and they feel apart and they feel at home because there's this diversity. This is not a political issue. And here's what our agendas have done and here's what our media has done and here's what social media has done. Is they've said, okay, if you're going to be a Democrat, then you're for systemic poverty and it needs to change. And you're for the end of racism and it needs to change. But if you're a Republican, you're against abortion and it needs to change. And you're for marriage and it needs to change. These are not political issues. This is kingdom of God issues. This is image of God. That every single person, red, yellow, black, and white, whatever the color of your skin is, is made in the image of God. And we do not give them dignity. We simply affirm the dignity that God has given them. That we are all the same. And the church is at its most powerful and most beautiful when there is diversity. And one of my friends who's a preacher of an African-American church says, the problem in our society right now is the most segregated hour of our week is right here. Across the board. And we've got to change that. That must change. And it does not start with politics. And it does not start with social media posts. It does not start with anything except getting to know people. And having conversations. And talking to people. Flesh and blood people. In person, people. So I want to tell you what we're doing in our family. One of the commitments we're trying to make right now. Because there's a lot on social media. And I, I've kind of, this last week, been so infuriated by all of it. I've just said, I've, I've had enough. But here's what we are doing is we're going next door to our neighbors. And we're inviting people into our home that have different skin color than us. And we're listening to their stories. Because if you allow the social media agenda or the political agenda to dictate how you see and think about all of this, you can so easily dismiss it and say, there's not a problem. But listen, if you will sit down face to face with another human being and have a conversation 
and not a conversation where you talk, but a conversation where you listen. Here's what I've found, is you will hear stories that break your heart. Having lunch at my house, heard a story of someone who in their office, in their office, 2020, overtly heard someone use a racial slur in the middle of the office. I've heard a story of people not entirely feeling comfortable here. And then listen, when you sit down and talk to a person, it will change the way you see everything. It will change the way you see everything, and I promise you, it will break your heart. Sit down with them, with people with a different color skin from a different background, and have a difficult conversation. I promise you, it's awkward. I've made some of the most awkward phone calls of my life this week. But you don't know what you don't know. And we need people to inform us. Sit down with our law enforcement officers and tell them we love them and we know that they have our best interest and we love and thank you and are grateful for you. Because they need to hear that too right now. But listen, people, if this is a political issue, if this is a social media agenda, we've totally missed the boat on what Jesus said. We've missed it, and we have a problem. Have conversations. Treat everyone with dignity and honor. And I would just say, as you're having those conversations, spend less than 25% of the time talking. And don't dismiss anything that they tell you. Because I can promise you, you're going to hear some things that hurt you and you don't like to hear. But the church, the church must lead the way. Because the church is the answer to reform. And the church is the answer to hope. And the church is the answer because the church is about the good news of Jesus, that he has set everyone free and that he is redeeming and reconciling all things. And that in him we have this righteousness not of our own that we don't deserve. And that everything else is just trash. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus our Lord. Do, do you believe that? Is that part of who you are? Is that part of who I am? Because if it is, we believe that this good news, this gospel, has the power to change the world.
We, we believe that it has the power to bring hope and healing and restoration into this world. The question is, how do you see the world? Which filter are you looking through as you look at this world? Because if your filter is wrong, you will see the situation wrong. So here's my challenge for you with specifically this issue, that you not make a single social media post about anything that's going on right now until you've had a conversation, a one-on-one conversation with five other people who are not the same race as you are. Let's just start there. Let's start there. Let's just start with an experiment. What would happen if we change our filter and we stopped looking at through all these other filters and looked face-to-face at another person? And ask yourself the question, do you see in them the image of God? Do you see within them a person that Jesus died for on a cross to set free? Or do you see a political agenda? Do you see a social media agenda? Do you see a side that we're afraid to address and adjust? Because here, here's the deal for me, and, and I, I'm, I'm sorry for this, but if you had asked me a few weeks ago, do we still have a problem with racism, I would have, for the most part, said no. But what changed it for me was talking to someone and hearing their story. Someone I love and respect and care about and have a relationship with. And it broke me. And so my commitment is I'm going to have some more conversations. I'm having lunch this week. I'm going to make some phone calls this week. Because I want to learn. I want to listen. Because I believe as I hope you do too. The gospel is good news for everyone. And as we come to the foot of the cross, all of us are equal. The, the field has been leveled. And we are one. And there is so much beauty in that diversity. So here's what you're going to do this summer. I hope. If you'll join me. Number one, I'm going to ask that you memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. Here's why. Because as you memorize it, and, and, and listen, you can say, oh, I, just, I don't have great memory. I don't care. I don't care if you don't have great memory. Try. Because in working at doing it, it will become the filter through which you see things. And you're going to be thinking about a decision or how you respond. And it's going to be really tough to respond as you've been memorizing. Do not be angry with my brother or sister. 
It's going to be tough to respond with treat other people the way you want to be treated. And if we memorize it, it becomes the filter through which we see. And the second thing is this. Practice the way of Jesus. Practice the way of Jesus. So in your group, in your family, pick out a part of the sermon. And just say for the next two weeks, we're going to actually do what this in this section. We're not going to judge. Or we're going to keep our commitments. Or we're not going to let anger over whatever section it is. And as a group, practice it. And then come back together and talk about your experience practicing it. Actually doing it. Because so often what we have is theory. We, we think this is what would happen if we live like this. We think this is what would happen if we acted like this. Thinking and treating it as theory. Let's actually live it out. Because the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the wind blew and beat against that house. But it stood firm because its foundation was on the rock. Father, today, God is my hope it is my prayer that this church is a place where change begins. It is a, a place where you speak to us, and Father, we hear your voice, that this becomes in our mind solidified as a people, an image of God issue, and that we can get rid of the political allegiance we have to the different issues and, Father, focus on your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And, Father, I'm sorry. Beg your forgiveness for the ways that I have failed to see clearly. And, Father, it's my hope that you would give me new eyes. Not, not to to bring myself down to other people's level, but, Father, to lift people up to our level so that we all stand on one solid ground. Father, we, we believe that the hope of the world is Jesus. And as long as there is division, regardless of racial or social, or there will always be a problem with people being able to get to Jesus. And so, Father, as you have done, tearing down those walls, Father, help us to continue to tear down those walls in our world and bring truth and love and grace and mercy into this world. Help us to love people well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.